You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Welcome to this live stream in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the First Christian Church. We're glad that you've taken some time out of your day to be with us. And today you're going to need this technology. So if you've got some paper and a pen, you might be looking to grab that. And I've got a message today for new folks and for our kids. First, if this is your very first time to connect with us at First, we'd love to connect with you. And if you are new to First and want to know more about First, feel free to text us the word NEW to 505-294-0630 and give us your name. And we'd be glad to help you however we can. Also, if you are interested in learning more about First Christian and being connected to know just a bit about who we are, we'd love to have you join us in our First Steps Hangout next week. That's May the 3rd at 3 o'clock. And you can find information about that on our website at firstabq.org. And now for our kids. Kids, I just want to say again how great you are doing. This is a very difficult time. And we've got our paper, so you're going to need it maybe in a minute. But I want to give you a special prayer, a prayer from Psalm 71 that you can pray. Here it is. It's just two lines. God, do not be far from me. Oh, my God, hurry to help me. That's the prayer. Psalm 71, 12. Oh, God, do not be far from me. Oh, my God, hurry to help me. And now, what do we do with this paper? Well, today, just to keep your hands busy, if you know your numbers, and I'm talking to adults here, keep track of all the numbers that I say and add them up. See what the total is. If you don't know your numbers, kids, feel free to just draw on this piece of paper. It's just something trivial to use your hands while we're talking today. Let's pray. Oh, God. Do not be far from us. Oh, our God, hurry to help us. And today, may your word come not just in word alone, but in power, with full conviction, and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Three weeks. There's your first number. Three weeks. I've been trying to wrap my mind around three weeks. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. There's another number there. We've actually been under shelter at home since March 23rd. That's five weeks. But I'm wondering about three weeks. What could a person do in three weeks? Could you start a business? Could you close down a business and finish up the books? Could you begin to binge watch a television show that you like? Well, maybe the one-hour video meetings that you're having to do, maybe those feel like three weeks long. What would it take, what would you be able to do to maybe organize your photos in three weeks? Or what if you were to get pregnant? Yeah, I think you could get pregnant in three weeks. Now, you wouldn't be able to have a baby in three weeks, and you certainly wouldn't know what kind of baby it is or anything at all about it in three weeks. But today, We're talking about a man who started a church in three weeks. That's right, a Jewish rabbi who, 
became an ambassador of Jesus Christ and was on mission for Jesus Christ, started a church in just three weeks. He took to the streets with his shoes, with the camel, with boats, with all kinds of things, preaching the message that Jesus was the Son of God, that he had come and he had lived and he had died and he was resurrected by God. The message of Jesus, that the kingdom of God is here, was the message that Paul shared as well. That story changes everything. Now I know we're thinking that COVID-19, there's another number for you, changes everything, and it does. But you know, COVID-19 is going to be forgotten at some point in the future. No, it'll be in the history books, just like 9-11, just like Trump, just like TikTok. All of these things will find their place in history, but soon it will be forgotten. But the story that Paul taught about Jesus is a story that will remain forever. It is the story. The story of one God who has appeared in three ways. As God creating us, and as Jesus who saves us, and as the Holy Spirit who lives in us and comforts us. You know, talking about all these numbers, even Jesus' ministry was not three weeks, it was three years. Now, you're probably asking, why, Brady, are you hung up on three weeks? Well, three weeks just isn't enough time to start a church, to go online. It isn't enough time. Yet, it's the time that Paul had. And what we're looking at in this new series called What Now is the oldest letter in the New Testament, the oldest document in the New Testament. The series, What Now, speaks to the question that we're all asking. Sometimes we say, what now, exasperated. What now? What could be next? And other times we say it in a sense of eagerness, a sense of readiness, like a soldier. What now? We're ready for what's next. And every day I'm finding myself somewhere on that spectrum, maybe at different points throughout the day, of being exasperated or eager and ready for what's next. Today, I want this series to help get us on our toes, to help us be ready to act, be ready to move for what is next. Well, last week in this story, I didn't tell you why Paul writes this little thank you note. As he goes through his ministry of wondering what now, and also, what more can I do? He was on his dream mission, a divine mission. You see, he'd had a vision of a man calling him over to Greece, and he went to Greece and had a, mes a mission that, by all practical purposes, would be considered a failure. If we used uh, Western metrics of success or United States metrics of success or suburban American metrics of success, it's all a failure. He was beaten up. He was drugged before courts. He was accused. He was left for dead at times. This was not a successful message. But his mission, his mission and his message were clear. And as I look at his message, it looks fairly innocuous. The story that I'm telling you is from Acts chapter 17. And in verse 3, we get the sum total of what his message was. Jesus is king. It was necessary for Jesus to die and suffer and to be raised again. 
Now, that doesn't seem like all that big of a message to be worried about. But the response was overwhelming. The Greeks took to this message. Many of the devout Greeks became followers of God. Many of the leading women became followers of God and Jesus because of this message. Now, what's interesting to me about this is it meant that they were going to have to trade in their gods. Greeks and Romans had many gods, a god for every day of the week, a god for every month. And so for them to trade all of those gods for one god is quite a move and quite a feat. Now, for us, maybe we don't think about many gods here in Western America. But what if we were to think about Amazon as a god? There are many gods that we could serve on Amazon. There's a God of music where we can download music or we could uh, slip over to the health and beauty department and find some products that are full of chemicals or organic chemicals. We could move over to Amazon Prime Video and watch different movies or buy a book to educate us. We could think of Amazon as many different gods that we're able to serve that please us. Even finding comic books for DC and Marvel characters, telling these stories that would be very similar to those of the Greek gods. Greeks had tons of gods. And these stories about the gods helped orient and focus their lives. It helped give order to their society. And I left off maybe one of the biggest gods of all, Caesar. Caesar who became the emperor also became thought of as a son of the God. About 50 years before Jesus lived, the Roman imperial cult began with the emperor Julius Caesar and then the emperor Augustus Caesar, who was leading before Jesus became, uh, came to earth, before he was born, and before he became a teenager. This emperor, this leader of the world, began to be worshipped by the Roman Empire. Tiberius, who was emperor at the time of, of Jesus, bulk of his Jesus' life, from about 14 AD to 37 AD, would say, oh, I'm, I'm only mortal. All divinity needs to be given to Augustus Caesar. As you can see, there was a lot of worship of gods, and it was tied to the states. It was tied to being a good patriot. Even Claudius who was emperor at the time that this letter was written, was called the savior of the world, Lord, Caesar God, and son of God. Do these terms sound familiar, Christians? They sound a lot like the terms that we use for Jesus because they are. Rome was a powerhouse for hundreds of years before Jesus, and at the time of Jesus, a superpower. And Paul strolls into the capital city of Macedonia to Thessalonica, and he preaches that Jesus is a son of God, savior of the world, resurrected back to life. He even goes so far as to say that Jesus is the Jewish king. Wow. Is it any wonder they thought this guy was a traitor, they thought he was treasonous, and that they wanted to see him killed? And that's what happens in our story. Jews find a crowd in the marketplace. They pay off some ruffians to start a mob and a riot. And they begin looking all over town to find Paul and Silas, looking in fervor to kill them. But they can't find them. 
They're hidden. They're tucked away and protected. So they do the next best thing. They go and they find Jason because they had been staying at Jason's house. Now, not our Jason, but they go and they grab all of Jason's household, drag them and other believers into court. So if we could imagine Jason and Lisa and Luke and Emily and the Shaws, everyone being drugged in before this government official. They accused them of throwing the world into an uproar. They accused them of subverting the emperor, of bringing all this chaos of Christianity to their town, and they want it to happen no more. Well, how does it end? Well, Jason and the household have to be financially liable for no future problems. They post bail, which means money is secured to where if anything was to go wrong, if other Christians were to act up, if Paul and Silas were to continue their ministry, they would pull that money away. That night, Paul and Silas, they get off without a scratch. No mug shots taken. But the believers tell them in the darkness of night to leave. Not by the famous stone Via Ignatia Road. No, not that fancy way. Not on a ship out through the seaport. No, they go south on a dirt road to a different place. It's quite a story. Well, what does Paul do? What does he do during this time with a group of people that only had three weeks with him? He writes a thank you note. A thank you note. Takes up pen and paper. He adapts to a new technology of finding a way to teach people through the written word. And here's our text for today. 1 Thessalonians 1. 6 and following. You became imitators of us and the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. These people had become famous. These baby three-week-old believers became famous for their response. Now, as a minister, there's a thousand questions I would love to ask Paul, but one that rises to the surface is, what did he teach these believers that in three weeks they could respond with such remarkable faith and so much remarkable strength against the government? What did he teach them? Well, we don't have that side of the conversation. What we get are not his synagogue sermons, but we get his follow-up letters that he wrote to them, to teach them, to provide their leaders tools, and to show them what an agenda of following Jesus would look like. And here's basically what he did. Paul would go into an established environment and reproduce Jesus. That's it. He would go and he would tell the stories about Jesus and connect them to the larger story of the Old Testament 
or of events of the time. He would tell that message about Jesus. And then he would also imitate and model for them the life of Jesus among them. That's his message, and that's also his method. So these people heard the message. We mentioned it earlier, a message about the one true and living God who made everything, sending Jesus. The world killed Jesus, but God raised Jesus up. And as Jesus lived and appeared to over 500 people and then ascended to heaven, he let the Holy Spirit behind to stay with us. You see, when God enters creation, when he enters the world that he's made, he forever changes it. And he is a part of it. He cares about it. We serve one God, not many gods. And we see in these Thessalonican people the ability to turn from these many gods and to serve the one true and living God. And it meant a lot for them. Verses 9 and 10 give us this sense of what their loyalty is, that all loyalty goes to this one true and living God, not to the emperor, not to a president, not to a political party or a government, not to an economy, not even to a religious organization, but to the one true and living God. That was his message. Well, after they heard that, they also watched Paul. They observed him closely, and they saw how he lived that message out. And the way that he did it was to imitate Jesus. His process was to come and model for others what Jesus did, the things that Jesus uh, said among the group of people, and to show them that they could imitate him, Paul and Silas, as they are imitating Christ. Now, we've talked about this before, about what disciples do. Disciples are people that are being in the presence of Jesus, imagining their life with Jesus, praying through their day, facing what they face. They do the things that Jesus did, serving, acting in the very spirit of Jesus. And they also speak and say the words that Jesus said about the arrival of the kingdom of God. The fact that God's rule is available to all of us. And they would not only speak the words of Jesus, but they would go where Jesus would lead. That all of our lives are directed towards Jesus pushing us forward. Now, their lives were not an exact duplicate, a copy. They didn't say, well, Jesus died on a cross, so all of us should die on a cross. No, they weren't trying to imitate that way but they were willing to put their life on the lines and risk their own lives for the protection of Paul and Silas. That is an amazing walk of imitation. It is something that we can do with our lives as we think about what imitating Jesus looks like with our family, in our workplace, with our friends. How do we model and imitate the life of Jesus there? What happens is that this group of people in only three weeks, not only imitate Paul and imitate Jesus, but they become examples for other people. Other people look to them as models of what it is to follow Jesus because they are developing the habits and the practices of following Jesus. In the gospel, Jesus is often said, follow me. In these epistles or letters, sometimes the words are used like they are here in verse 6. Imitate Christ. 
Paul says them in a number of places. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And our lives are meant to imitate Jesus with our minds, with our hearts, and with our very bodies that we imitate Jesus Christ. Well, all these numbers, three weeks, the number that I've been hung up on, We've now been told by the New Mexico governor that we're to stay sheltering at home until May 15th, which is three more weeks. And however you feel about that, and a lot of us, you know, are frustrated and sad for obvious reasons, but however you feel about it, see this as an opportunity. This is three weeks where we have an opportunity to think about the things that we're learning in our isolation. We're losing control. We're lacking security. Habits that we've had in the past, we've had to change. And we're figuring out that some of those things that we're losing are good. And so I'm inviting you to use this three-week period as an opportunity to take a self-inventory. And I want you to do two things. We've had a lot of numbers. Hopefully you've been adding them up just for fun. It's not much meaning beyond that. But now we get to the two numbers that really matter. I want you to find one thing that you're ready to leave behind, that you've decided you don't need anymore. Now, hopefully it will not be toilet paper or Purell, even though you can't buy some of that. I hope that you will use those things. Now, seriously, think about those things. Maybe there's a food that you've been addicted to that you just can't buy right now, or you can't make because you don't have the ingredients. Something that you need to get out of your life. Perhaps it's having the television on all the time as background noise. Maybe that's something that needs to go away. Maybe it's the constant ingesting of news or focusing in on only one news source instead of looking at multiple news sources, even those that you might disagree with. Perhaps it's giving up being lazy. You figured out how nice it is to get outside and to be with other people in a safe distance, walking and hiking and taking in a breath of fresh air. Maybe it's even looking at your work and the relationships there in a different light, where they're not just coworkers, but they're people, they're children of God with whom you can have relationship. You might have to make a long list, but I just want you to find one thing that you're ready to leave behind, a way of thinking, a way of acting that you don't want to pursue anymore. And then I want you to make another list of one thing you'd like to start, something that you'd like to begin doing. From uh, March 17th on, we've been posting letters about COVID-19 and things that we're asking you to do, like prayer and encouraging one another, being connected to a group, continuing your giving. You've probably been telling yourself some spiritual habit that you would like to practice, but maybe you haven't started yet. Well, I want you to put that one spiritual practice down. And again, you might have to make a list. Is it daily prayer at a set time? Is it calling uh, one to three people every day to encourage them? Is it sending out some encouragement text to people that you know really need it? Is it writing a handwritten card? to thank people and to encourage them and lift them up. Maybe you still haven't gotten to know the names of your neighbors. Maybe that's what you want to do. That is your one thing. Whatever it is, 
put these two things, the one thing you want to let go of and the one thing that you want to start, write it on a note, put it on your refrigerator, put it inside of your phone with a reminder, or put it as a sticky note on your mirror. Last Friday night, our family decided we were going to watch a movie, and we had seen that Fandango was giving away a movie free online. And it was live, so you had to join and watch. Well, we were a little late, and we got on, and we saw that we could scroll back and watch it on YouTube. And the movie that was on was The Hunger Games. And most of us have read those books in our household, and it's a very troubling story about future America. Well, what happened as we watched the movie is we got about an hour in to a very climactic moment in the movie and it stopped because we were not in the live stream and they pulled it down. So we didn't get to see the end of the movie and we're still in the middle of this cliffhanger movie. But one of the things that happens is the president at the time, his name is President Snow, who's kind of a quiet, methodical person, is talking to one of his uh, cronies, one of his government officials, and he's talking about hope. And he says, hope is the only thing that's stronger than fear. And a little hope is a good thing, but a lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine as long as it can be contained. Now that's really interesting. They want to give just a little bit of hope, but want to instill a lot of fear. Well, today, as I look at the Thessalonians, as I hear the words of Paul, I want to start a revolution of hope, of hope, because our convictions are placed in God. And what that hope will look like is joy. Now, that might sound strange to you, but joy, this is what Paul says in verse 6, that he was amazed at their response, the joy that they had facing persecution inspired by the Holy Spirit. What if we were to have a competition of joy, of how we can outdo one another in being joyous because our hope is in God and our confidence is assured. We know what our message is. We are the people who speak about Jesus, the living God, who's expressed himself in three ways, as creator, as savior, and as sanctifier in the Holy Spirit. That is our message. And our method, we're all about imitating Jesus. How can we duplicate the life of Jesus in our life? Again, we're so glad that you were with us today. We pray that you will be well and that if you would like to hear from us and you're new, text the word new in your name, to 505-294-0630. And as you've tallied up your numbers, why don't you send me your total? How many, what did the total come to of all of those many numbers? And kids, feel free to send me your pictures as well. God bless you.